syndicate. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Boston Sports Syndicate Red Sox podcast to be named later. This is the Syndicate's podcast dedicated solely to the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball. I'm Bill Travis. Thank you for joining us. So after a rough start to the MLB season, they finally made it through to the World Series and Mookie Betts and the L.A. Dodgers were crowned 2020 champions. Since then, a lot has happened. The Red Sox have a new slash old manager, a new bench coach, a former Red Sox GM has stepped down, and plenty of other news to talk about. So let's dive in right away, shall we? Of course, joining me as always to talk Sox is Mr. Positive himself, Matty Kiwum DeRoches. How's this going, Matt? It's going pretty good. I'm glad to be back. You know, I really enjoy these uh, Red Sox podcasts to be named later episodes, so I'm pretty psyched. And also the newly reinvigorated great Blogino. He's been cranking out stories like crazy uh, once again. Chris Henrik. Chris, how are you doing? What's up, guys? Let me tell you what. It, it's it been like, what, a pod, it, not a podcast. It's been like, what, an article a day. It's literally been... And, and it's it's just the beginning. I'm telling you right now, it's just the beginning. I even did three, four articles last week. Holy cannoli. Yeah, you guys were killing me with the golf stuff. But it was great content. Great content. I'm just not a golf fan. But no, it was we had quite a bit on there last week. So You know, you know Matt, we never really wrapped up the Masters. Like, we got everybody, like, started on the Masters, but we never covered the ending. Well, let's go ahead and sum it up right now. Dustin Johnson dominated. End of end of article. All right. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. So let's talk Red Sox and, and baseball. Season's over. Dodgers are champions. And the Red Sox have a new manager, slash same as the old manager. Alex Cora brought back. Alex Cora 2.0. Is this a surprise to either one of you at this point? Uh, no. You know, I can't say I'm surprised. It seemed like the no-brainer ever since the investigation kind of wrapped up and it seemed like Core didn't bring any of the, you know, the foolery over here to Boston and wasn't really messing around with that stuff. And it seemed like, you know, the kind of the narrative that was originally put out there that the bench coach had everything to do with the cheating in Houston even died down. So, you know, once all that kind of washed over and it seemed like you know Alex Cora wasn't the evil mastermind that he was originally billed you know I'm not surprised at all that he he's the Boston Red Sox new slash old manager Chris are you surprised no not really you know to be honest with you um I I put some thought into this because when when it was finally announced and you know he was he was named manager again you know, it it kind of felt like that Red Sox fans are kind of split in how they should feel on it. There's a lot of people who think that, you know, we brought back a cheater and it was the easy way out. There's other people who feel that this is the right move all along. You know, to be honest and to be consistent, we we, we beat up Alex Cora pretty good back in, you know, January, February when he was let go and we recorded our shows. And I went back and I listened to those podcasts so that way I didn't want to seem like I was – being hypocritical to what I wanted to say for tonight. So, you know, at the time, letting go Alex Cora was the right move for the Red Sox. With the information that we had, you know, and that was available to us, that was the right thing to do. After watching this dumpster fire of a season, 
you think about just think about for a second when you go and say the Boston Red Sox, like who's the first person, like what's the first face that comes to mind right now when you say the Boston Red Sox? Because to me, from like 2004 until David Ortiz retired, it was David Ortiz. And then when Mookie Betts was here, you say the Boston Red Sox, think of Mookie Betts. Now I think you say the Boston Red Sox, for good or for worse, I think of Alex Cora. Xander Bogarts is not that, I don't feel like he's that face of the franchise just yet. So finally, for me, it feels like the Red Sox have some consistency back on the field, in the clubhouse. And again, for better or for worse, you know, this feels like the right move. Now, whether Heim Bloom had any say in it or not, I, I don't know. Like, it, it just it feels right, and it feels like it was it was it's it's kind of putting this team in the right direction moving forward. Yeah, I gotta agree with you. It's the right move. I'd have to say. You know, back when when he was first let go, when they decided to part ways, we talked about it back then, and and I, I recall thinking, well, I don't think either him or AJ Hinch are going to come back right away. I think they're going to have to serve some type of penance, maybe uh, be broadcasters for a year or two, and then become a scout or something and work their way back in. But I mean. Hinch was hired before Rob Manfred even sobered up from giving out the the World Series trophy. <laughs> he he was hired by the Tigers, and, and and Cora followed shortly with the Red Sox. So uh, a few months ago, even I would have said, no, I don't think he's coming back. In fact, people asked me, is Cora going to be hired as the manager? And and I said no, because I think Bloom's going to go out and get his own guy. And then lo and behold, you know he's going to Puerto Rico to meet with Cora, and then Cora's being named the manager. So yeah, I I don't know how. The management all said that it was Bloom's final decision. You know, they told him their thoughts, but they left the decision up to him. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I don't. I don't think it looks. The optics don't look good for Bloom bringing Cora back. Yeah, I no. mean, I I said in our group chat actually when he first was named the uh, the new manager that I thought the delay because uh, you know Hinch was was named the new manager. LaRusso was named the new manager of the White Sox. So teams were picking their guy before the Red Sox. So you would think that if everyone was on board, including Bloom, that, uh, you know, they would have hired Cora right away. And I had originally said that I think the delay was because Hein Bloom wanted Sam Fold. You know, he knows him from his days in, in Tampa Bay. And around the baseball circles, you're hearing that Sam Fold is like the next Kevin Cash. You know, he's. He's ready to coach with the binder. Uh, I've kind of revised my stance on that. I think that the delay was more doing the due diligence to make sure that the, everyone was on board. But I don't think you bring in a guy like Hein Bloom and not give him, you know, the final okay to bring in the manager. So you think if Bloom went to Henry or Warner and said, I want to bring in Sam Fold, that they would have said, okay, go ahead, you can bring him in. You can bring in an unproven manager who's never even coached at the big league level. You can bring him I in. Do. You think they would have been okay with that? I do. I do think that ultimately they would have been okay. They may not have liked it, but I do think ultimately they would have given him that uh, that final say. Uh, you know, it, but at the same time, I don't. In no means, I, I I believe that they wanted Cora. So I'm not saying that they were undecided or they didn't really care. I'm sure they wanted Cora. And you know, Hein Bloom is, you know, he's he's an analytical guy. He comes from was a Yale or whatever this guy is you know well I, I think you have to go to Yale to be a, a major league GM or 
chief baseball officer or whatever whatever the title is i think going yeah. to yale is a prerequisite yeah it's pretty wild nowadays when you see uh who's running all these baseball teams not many baseball players if you if you check it out but i think you know with fold and it came down to fold cora and you know cora just he was a no-brainer and i i just, just think with all the information in front of him you know heimbloom would have been really going against the current grabbing a guy like Sam Fold because in a market like Boston, you want guys who are proven. You want guys who can take the heat. And, you know, Cora has done that in spades. And, you know, he's he's had his ups. He's had his downs. You know, he had even more downs. So I think, you know, ownership was definitely leaning Cora. But I do personally believe that if Sam Fold was a guy that Heimblum per, like decided on and was 100% and – dug his feet and that would be he would be the new manager of the boston red sox i think at the end of the day that if if and to matt's point if heimbloom wanted to hire sam bold he would have there has been a lot of positive talk about this guy from people within the sport people within the phillies organization and again globally within baseball they've speak they've spoken very highly of sam bold and he you know appears to be the next guy that's on the up and come to be a manager in baseball. Even Trevor Plouffe, former uh, Twins third baseman, tweeted basically saying that the Red Sox would be stupid not to hire Sam Fult. At the end of the day, though, even though Heim Bloom had, I'm going to use quotation fingers, full autonomy to hire the next manager, Alex Cora makes the most sense out of anybody. Alex Cora knows how to manage in this market. Alex Cora has won in this market. Now, I fully understand that the manager that is coming in here in Alex Cora does not have the same team that he had in 2018. I get that. But at the very least, Alex Cora understands how to handle this market. Now, interviewing Sam Fold and bringing him down to the final two candidates to me is almost like I, – I think of like the WWE. It's like Heimblum is putting over Sam Fold for the next team. Think about who they just hired. They just hired Will Venable to be their – there to be their bench coach. To me, that's that's Heimblum's choice. Heimblum got to pick somebody to be on that coaching staff. That's why Will Venable is here. Here's another guy that is on the up and come to be a manager in baseball. He's interviewed with a tons of team, uh, tons of teams over the last couple of seasons. Now he comes here to Boston. If the Red Sox even make the playoffs, Will Venable has got a job next season anywhere else besides Boston to be a manager. So the Sam Fold piece to me feels like at this point. He was kind of doing this guy, you know, solid by saying like, hey, you're down to the final two to be the manager of the Boston Red Sox next season. Sam Fold probably gets a job elsewhere. And the Red Sox get someone who is going to give them consistency within within the dugout. And it, there's no like there's no uncertainty with Alex Cora. You know what you're getting. And and for once, it feels like that there's some sort of direction with the Boston Red Sox. Correct me if I'm wrong. Venable was a uh, finalist for the Red Sox job, too. He, he was Sox. one of the people yeah. interviewed, yeah. and he was a finalist for that job. Now, did Cora interview with either the White Sox or the uh, Tigers? His name was connected to both. You know, it was rumored. But did he actually interview with either one of them? I don't know uh, specifically if he interviewed with, with either one of those teams. I, to me, I'm shocked that the White Sox, and we're going to talk about that mess, but, like, I'm surprised that the White Sox – did not seriously interview Alex Cora because to me, you have a young up and coming baseball team with young Latin players. Alex Cora would have fit that mold perfectly in Chicago. 
Um, I, I feel like the White Sox made a complete mistake. And again, I'll wait till we get on the Tony Larusa conversation, but I, I don't know specifically if if he interviewed with any team. Go ahead, Matt. No, I, I, you know, I, I agree. I don't remember reading any interviews set up or any interviews taking place. I also wonder if maybe Cora was giving the impression to the the baseball world that, you know, he really wanted to return to Boston. I mean, they had to fly to Puerto Rico to get that initial interview done. And maybe, though, you know, maybe the Detroit Brass and the Chicago White Sox, they just, they're like, oh, if that's the extent to get this interview in, you know, maybe he isn't the guy that wants to come here. Maybe he has eyes for Boston. Yeah, and and when you point, hear something though, like that, exactly, and then... No, keep going, Chris. No, exactly what you're saying. The fact that there was really no traction for Alex Cora to any of the teams that had vacancies tells you that he was coming back to Boston. Like, how much you want to make it? Like, how would you... I'm willing to bet that after he quoted parted ways, this was part of the conversation. That, that was going to be my like, question. Hey, was this the plan all along, and did the rest of baseball know it? You know, there, there's a lot way. of people. Yeah, there's a lot of people in baseball. They're not stupid. They're, they're, they are very much connected with the sport. Like, it truly feels as if this, like, Alex Cora was coming back. Because if he wasn't, then why would, why would there be constant conversation of Alex Cora coming back at the end of the season? Like, why, like, why, would, you, why would you hire Ron Renneke, give him a one-year deal, and he's the placeholder. Why would you keep his entire coaching staff? Well, after like, the season when they fired Renicky or didn't renew his contract, but brought back the entire coaching staff with the exception exactly. of the bullpen coach, that to me was a signal right there. Cora's coming back. No doubt about exactly. it. Cora's coming back. His whole coaching staff is coming back. If you were gonna, if you would seriously consider bringing in somebody new, why would you saddle him with an entire coaching staff? Yeah, when you put together the pieces and you look back at it all, the wording that they used when they let him go, we part, mutually parted ways, was very docile, very, very, very soft. There was no edges on that. Let him go. You didn't hear much about Cora, you know, the fan base around here or around baseball, you know, as fans and players alike poured it on Houston and just gave it to him. You know, Cora was kind of aside from that. And then, you know, from a Red Sox point of view, getting a guy like Renicky and all season long, Renicky was busy just he just kind of seemed like a bag of bones in the dugout. Like he just didn't bring anything to the team. He didn't, you know, his, you know, when he addressed in the media, it was kind of bland and stock answers. And, and then, like you said, they kept the, the Alex Cora's staff pretty much around and they let Renicky go. And again, they didn't fire him. He didn't quit. He didn't resign. They didn't renew his contract. So the wording, everything seemed like they wanted to lay the rose petals down so that they could bring Alex Cora back eventually. And they did. But you gotta think though, like Ron Renicky had one of the like that's a hard job to have. Like you know full well that you're here for a year and your only role and responsibility is to keep the bench warm for the former manager who had to be let go or part ways because he was involved in a scandal because by the way, hey, he's coming back. Like this team, like this whole season, it just kinda felt like that they were they were kind of set up behind the eight ball from the rip between Bet's going, and then Cora's gone, and now you bring in Renicky, and and then the, the the pitching that they threw out there, like so, for, like I'm finally like I'm happy that finally like this is it's everything kind of feels like like the 2020 piece finally feels like it's over, 
and that there's now some direction. Like you have a front office that that ownership to me feels like they believe in and they're going to let this guy run the team. But by the way, we're going to let you run the team and do your thing. Here's the consolation. You need to bring back Alex Cora. Okay, so he does that. So now it feels like, okay, the consolation of that is let me get let me bring in my own guy to be the bench coach and Will Venable. So all that is secure and all that's set up. We're maybe 14 days away from really free agency kind of, you know, firing off here once other players are non-tendered by these other teams. I'm just finally happy that there's resolution. It feels like that the Red Sox are finally moving in a direction. Whether it's right or wrong, they're moving in a direction, and they have some identity again. Do you think that everything that happened with the virus this year and with baseball getting shut down for so long in the, in the shortened season and all the tumultuous things that came out of that, do you think that had any part of people just kind of not totally forgetting Cora's role in the in the Astros scandal, but kind of saying, well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, maybe it wasn't that big of a deal, and we can just accept him back as the manager. Do you think that had any part? Yeah, no question that played into it. I mean, when you think of storylines and narratives, the loudest ones, they come to the forefront, but nothing was going to be louder than COVID season, positive tests, all that stuff that came on, then, you know, that came along with the 2020 season. So that definitely helped. And I mean, the Red Sox, the Red Sox brass, they clearly knew uh, what their strategy was in bringing Cora back. Because if you remember when they made the announcement that he was hired, it was on a Friday afternoon. And yeah, the you know, the usual all, dump of of news that you don't yeah. want to get too much traction. Exactly, we're all media, we're all Boston media people, right? The three of us, we know how it is. When you want to drop something on the low, you drop it Friday afternoon. It's not going to get much traction. So that's what they did. So even bringing him back. They tried to make it as soft of a landing as possible. And I just think when you look back, I know hindsight's 2020, but when you look back at all the th- all the signs and the path that led them here, it does seem like they maybe had this in mind the entire time. Also, the players, it, if I would have told you before the season started how the season would actually play out, I think all of us would assume that there would be some players who would be disgruntled. And you may see some you know, chaos in the clubhouse. You may see, you know, after bets being traded in a, in a bad season and them not living up to any kind of expectations that a player or two would speak out and be angry. You heard none of that. You know, you got to, to the player's credit, they didn't really come out and, and, and moan and, and whine and complain about this, that, and the other. J.D. Martinez, who is, you know, we've said it on this podcast before, I love the guy. He's, one of my, he's my favorite player on the Red Sox. Uh, He's a diva, and even he was pretty calm, cool, collected, came right back to the Red Sox. You know, I feel like the players knew, and if the players knew, then obviously management knew. So maybe this was actually their plan. And even talking about it now, I think you guys convinced me even more that Cora was always in the crosshairs for 2021 and beyond. What about uh, the naming of Venable as the bench coach? Do you think he might be a little bit of a plan B? Should something go wrong with Cora at some point? I 100% believe that's the case. I And I, I'm going to stand by this. I think that Will Venable is like, that's Bloom's guy. You know, I, I mean, this, this is someone who has interviewed for not just the Red Sox position, but he's been interviewing for multiple positions throughout baseball. 38 years old. He's young. He's, you know, he, he feels like that he's going to be, 
one of those core group of young guys who's going to get a job coming up within the next couple of seasons that's going to get to lead a team. So, yeah, if Alex Cora makes a stupid mistake and gets involved in some nonsense, or hell, if, if you know, we're in this for two years and the Red Sox, they just, they, there's no direction. They're not moving forward. And Bloom is making changes with the roster, but it's not working with Cora in, in the dugout. Will Venable is is plan B. And it's not a bad plan. It, it, it really isn't. This is, you know, former outfielder. He was the Padres. He was with the Rangers. He was with the Dodgers. You know what I mean? Like, when he retired, he went to the Cubs. He was a special assistant. He was with Theo. You know, like, this dude has been kind of groomed for, for this opportunity. And now he's in Boston, one of the most premier teams in the game. And like I said earlier, if the Red Sox make the playoffs, Will Venable has punched his ticket as the bench coach to be the next manager of any team, if a team goes and says, hey, like, say, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to throw a team out there that may not need a manager. Let's just say Milwaukee needs a manager. <clears throat> like, so I think it's a great move, and I think that this is this is truly Bloom's guy. How do you think that dynamic is going to work with Cora having his uh, possible successor working along with him? I think that's going to cause they're, – they're going to work well together. It's going to cause any friction. I don't know. I, I just see that as a problem. If, if my eventual successor is brought in and I feel like he's looking over my shoulder all the time, I don't, I don't see that as a good working dynamic. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think he was brought in to be the plan B uh, necessarily. I think it is a – I think Will Venable is a very good plan B. I don't think he was brought in to be plan B because you're right, Bill. That dynamic will not work. Like how could you bring in a guy who has a championship ring, a guy who's won here – and then also hire his possible replacement to watch over him. I just don't think that would jive well with Cora or anybody. So, you know, bringing in a guy like Venable is not necessarily plan B, but the guy is a great bench coach. I mean, this guy played as recent as 2016. So this guy's going to be able to connect with the players. He was also a Princeton grad. So you know he's smart. You know he's going to be able to digest the analytics. You know he's going to be able to interpret it in all different ways. He's going to be a great right-hand man to – you know, Cora, and he's going to be great with the young players and, and, and helping their development. So I think it was a fantastic hire. And I do think it was Hein Bloom's guy, but to be the bench coach, not to be the eventual replacement for Alex Cora. Having said that, I could be proven wrong because I have only heard rumblings of the Alex Cora contract. I haven't seen it, you know, reported official yet. But what I've heard and what I've read is it is a potential three year deal uh, where he has to. The, the, the additional two years come after year one. So Bloom would technically have an out after the 2021 season. You know, that's not official. That's just what kind of the rumblings I've heard. So, you know, I could be proven wrong in just a short year if Venable's actually the plan B. But I think – I don't think he's the plan B for the Red Sox. I just think he's a really, really great hire to be the bench coach for Alex Cora. I heard the same thing yeah, on the contract, he, he, and, and I just Googled it, actually, tried to find it, and I couldn't find it. But I did hear the same thing, too, which I thought was really interesting, that it was it was almost like an, an opt-out clause only for the Red Sox that they could let Cora go after one season. Yeah, and but I, I wonder if the delay on the contract being revealed is also a revision, because if they did come out and that is the contract, I think that speaks to more of what Chris was saying, that he's on a trial and that that would also lead me to believe that this is ownership's decision not blooms so if the contract comes out and it is like a one-year trial then everything i've said here tonight was is going to be you know proven wrong because you can't look at a contract like that 
and not say that it's a prove-it deal if there's an option where the Sox can be out after one year. And I think that was part of his previous contract extension that he had signed after winning the World Series was they re-upped him through 22, but there was an option after 21. So maybe it's just a carryover from that. That would yeah, it's definitely possible. You know, these these contracts are way above my pay grade and totally understanding and seeing how they work out. So, you know, we'll have to see how it pans out. But that's why Yale and Princeton guys have to have to put the contracts together. You got to be really smart. (laughs) They 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 bring in the smart guys. Smart guys. Club. You know, but overall, I'm ecstatic. I think these hires are great. I think Will Venable is a fantastic bench coach. I mean, usually if you bring in a guy like this, it's kind of like grooming him to be the next one. But I think having Hikora and Venable with these young players, with you know, the the the, the clubhouse that they have, if if I'm on the Red Sox, I can't imagine them. You know, like I I would be psyched. So I can't imagine them not being psyched. Guys like you know Alex Verdugo, Raphael Devers is obviously ecstatic. Bogarts is obviously excited. JD's got to be. Excited. I just feel like this was. They've, they've, they've nailed it. Whether, you know, the final say was ownership or, or Bloom, I guess it doesn't really matter because overall I just think it's been, you know, they were great, great hires to, to lead this ball club going forward. And the other thing on the Venable signing, and I don't want to make this the Venable podcast, but the other thing I, I found interesting on this was the juxtaposition from when Cora was hired, they brought in Ron Renicky as the seasoned baseball guy to be his bench coach and mentor. You know, to help him and with Russa. the decision process, right? And yeah. and Larusa La in the La, front La office, Russa, the babysitter. They, when they brought in Larusa in the front office, people around here, the media around here, called him the, the Red Sox babysitter for Cora. Right, and now that's changed with now Cora is the seasoned guy, even though he's only managed for two years, and you're bringing in a young, unproven guy like Venable to be your bench coach. So it's just amazing how fast things can change in a short span of time. No, you nailed it. I mean, that's exactly you. You said it perfectly. I just think, yeah. I, I mean, I can't really add to that. So, uh, kudos, Bill. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're you're in the captain's chair for a reason. <laughs> Let's not forget about that. Okay. okay. All right. I don't have uh, my replacement. One of you guys isn't my replacement looking over my shoulder. You just turn around and Mike is right behind you. <laughs> I'm not worried about him. <laughs> like my mom used to say, you brought him into this. That's world. right. You could take. I take you out and make another one look just like you. All right, so we mentioned Tony LaRusso. Why don't we get into that dumpster fire that's going on in Chicago? In case you haven't heard, Tony LaRusso was hired as the White Sox manager, the new White Sox manager, 76-year-old Tony LaRusso, Hall of Famer, returning to the dugout. The day he was announced as White Sox manager, the day before, I should say, he was arrested on another DWI, uh, which... Google that one and and look at the that whole exchange that he had with the, with the officer. So, just what are the White Sox thinking here? Not just in general, bringing somebody like him in to be your manager, and then with all the other baggage that you have to deal with, what are they thinking? I cannot, for the life of me, think of another example of a more out of touch personnel hiring than ancient Tony Larusa to come be the manager of an up-and-coming Chicago White Sox team. And to sprinkle on top of that the DWI, and 
And like you said, Bill, the report about it is hilarious. I mean, dropping the do you know who I am type thing. Do you and, know who I am, brother? I mean, that is... But I, I, have, I don't know how he still has a job, first of all. I also... If you are Jose Abreu, Yohan Moncada, Tim Anderson, how could you be excited to bring this guy on board? You're not. Exactly, you're not. Chris is getting I primed up, I have about. a feeling. I can, I can, I can... I can feel the tension, and I can feel you getting ready to go, Chris. So I'm just gonna keep speaking and let you. I'm gonna. It's like I'm a winding you up. It's like the Jack in the Box. When's it gonna go? You know, I'm <laughs> twisting it. Then, then it, then it. You know, that's me. You know right the movie now. Inside Out, the the red guy, that Love, that his oh, head explodes. Chris, yes. That's Chris. Go. Yes, Chris is about to go. Go. This is just a, an embarrassment. Like, talk about like you have a core of young players that like Luis Roberts, Aloy Jimenez, Yuan Makata, you just mentioned Tim Anderson. Think of the pitching staff, you know, like Giolito, you know, like you have such a good young core of players and you bring in a bag of bones to just sit on the bench. Like where's the relatability to that guy? Like these guys aren't going to go and run through a wall for him. Like, how do you even know he's going to live through the contract? I hate saying that, but like, is LaRusso literally going to make it through the entire time that he's the manager of that club? Like Rick Hahn finished second in the executive of the year voting. And the dude had zero say in who he was going to hire. Oh, by the way, Rick Renteria, who was their manager, he also finished like second or third in American league manager of the year voting and was let go for Tony LaRusso. Yeah. 10, 15 years ago, great great hire it's 2020 about to be 2021 and you decide to hire a 76 year old man who has not been in the dugout for years years to be your manager oh and then by the way oh by the way he's got this dui thing that has been moving over his shoulder you're gonna tell me that there's no one who could have like investigated this like this like developing news like hey by the way we just hired a dude who just got a DUI that's going to put a black eye on the franchise. You have guys like Marcus Stroman who are coming out and saying that there's not any amount of money that you can pay me to play for Tony LaRusso. Like it is such a joke that you have an ownership. You have an owner who just basically said, eh, you know, I know AJ Hinch and, and Alex Coro, they were just suspended for cheating. I don't want to talk to them. Instead, I want to go ahead and get in the time machine and go back to 1975 and bring Tony LaRusso back. It is such an absolute – it's a joke. This hire is an absolute joke, and I hope that the White – I hope nothing but bad things for the White Sox because of this. And it's a shame because they have so many really good, talented baseball players that are ready to take the next step that are going to be held back by a dude who is literally going to die as their manager. And I hate saying it that way, but that's my feelings on it. You know – I think the word that you used is going to be the exact word that is used when his tenure as White Sox manager is over, and that's a joke. This guy hasn't managed in the big leagues for 10 years. He's 76, and I'm not. I'm, this is wild speculation. I don't know the man, never met him, so I can't speak to any of his personal traits. If you're getting a DWI at 76, you've probably had a you, – I would imagine you've had a problem with alcohol for a long time. Not his first. Exactly. He got one a few that years ago in spring training. I think it was, was before the Red Sox hired him when he was still with the Diamondbacks. He got that, one back then. Was, exactly. I was going to say that right. You, you, 
Perfect. Exactly. So this guy clearly has demons, you know, and I'm, I'm not here to talk about anyone's personal problems. That's not what we do here on the Red Sox podcast. We name it. We talk sports uh, and other stuff. You know, we go off the rails, too, but whatever. Uh, this guy just I, I, I don't know what type of blackmail he must have over uh, ownership in Chicago to get this job, because this just I have never I can't think of another personnel hire that is more out of touch than this one. This is it's a joke. It's an it, it's a joke. And if you're on the White Sox, like how what are you thinking right now? This is insane. I mean, if you were a player and you had th- this report come out, you'd probably be in in some hot water right now. And now here's your new manager the day before being hired, you know, driving intoxicated, spat off at the mouse to 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 the, to the officer, you know. I, I can't believe this. This is this is insane, and it's just what a what a complete and utter joke. This is a horrific hiring, and I don't know why he. I mean, they. I also don't understand how they haven't used the DWI as the out to get out from underneath this horrific hiring. So who, you know, someone right now is asleep at the wheel in the White Sox organization. Maybe more. Yeah, people. it's the owner. It's the owner. The owner made this decision. The owner decided they were going to hire Tony Larusa, not not Kenny Williams, not Rick Hahn. The friggin' owner decided that we're not going to interview anybody. Instead, I'm just going to go ahead and bring in a 76 year old man to manage this team. Like, how disconnected are you? Like, I'm not even a White Sox fan, and I'm pissed. Like, imagine being a White Sox fan who is just like. Who is you know you root for that club and, and you're, you're in it like how we are as, as Sox fans and then all of a sudden like across the ticker oh yeah by the way we just hired Tony Larusa like come on I had to look at that three well, times when that alert came up on my phone I just couldn't believe it I'm not and, lying when I tell you this I looked up if there was a Tony Larusa Jr. <laughs> when I saw that I said there has to be a son right did I not know he had a son like there's no way Tony Larusa is about to be the the new manager after 10 years. And when he was let go by the St. Louis Cardinals, it was because he was becoming out of touch with the players. This was in 2011 this happened. This and now you got to fast forward 10 years. It's, it's been important. And now it's he's going to all of a sudden be able to relate to these players. You know, And you know who I, feel the, who I feel for in all this? You know, we've brought up all these names. I feel for Carlos Beltran. That guy was about to be the Mets new manager last year, he gets caught up in this cheating scandal, and now as the dust settles, Hinch has a job, Cora has a job, old drunk Tony La Russa has a job, and Carlos Beltran's left there with nothing. I mean, I wouldn't feel bad for Carlos. I don't feel bad for Carlos Beltran, but I I truly understand what you're saying. I don't want to, like, you know, just basically, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, the you know, there's no reason why the Carlos Beltran should not have been interviewed by the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox made an yeah. incredibly bad hire. And I, you know what, though? Like, I'll wear it if the White Sox go out and win the World Series this year. I'll 100% say that I was wrong. But that's not going to happen. I just – I look at this team who has a good young core that any young manager like a Sam Fold or a Will Venable or even, or even guys like A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora, like those are the guys that should be running that team – that should be building around these young players to get to the next level. Instead, you take a step backwards. Like, and these players aren't going to say anything, but I'm willing, like, I would just love 
to hear when each one of these guys are truly thinking, being like, like the second you see that on your phone, you go to Twitter, like, really? Like, you hired La Russa? No, like, this screams Bobby Valentine. This just screams like, this is just, this is just bad. This is just like not understanding your fan base. This is not understanding when fans finally come back. Like, these are people that are going to pay to watch your team. Like, this is, this is, you know, you've got a good young group of young players. Maybe they want to play for the guy. Who the hell knows? All I know is this, for me personally, like, this is a bad, bad hire. And I hate it when the Sox had him, too. Remember when the Red Sox hired him and they were saying, like, he was basically going to be Cora's babysitter, like we talked about? Like, do we really need to bring in Tony LaRue? Like, I'm, I'm out. I'm out on this whole dude. I, I hope this whole thing blows up on them. You know, though, we are a Red Sox podcast, so maybe we should start embracing it because this was a team that it would be, you know, in my eyes, a contender to to oppose, you know, the Red Sox and their chances of of going deep in the playoffs if they were to make it there. And I think a guy like Russa can derail the entire 162. So, hey, great job, White Sox. Keep him around. Well, we just got to get pitching first, and then I can go ahead and be like, yeah, here we go. Like, until then. Even with Larusa, the White Sox still favor of the Red Sox. Well, speaking of pitching, yeah. uh, does Dave Duncan come with him too? Because I think Dave Duncan was to Tony Larusa what Bill Belichick was to Bill Parcells. Parcells never won a Super Bowl without Belichick on his staff, and Larusa right. brought Duncan with him everywhere he went too. And maybe, maybe Jack McKeon can come up somewhere and be his bench coach too. Like, <laughs> why don't we just go ahead and just bring in? Like, well, you know who the owner of the White Sox is is Jerry Reinsdorf. Oh, the yeah. same guy, if you watch The Last Dance, that you know ran the Bulls into the ground after Jordan left. Maybe you'll see if Jordan wants to come back and throw him in center field at, what, 50 years old. Is the number 45 still available in Chicago? Uh, well, yeah. if it wasn't, I'm sure it'd come off the wall. I mean, this guy's making all the decisions that around there, so, you know. It'd sell jerseys, I know that. Uh, you know, and after the DUWI came up, the first thing I thought of was uh, A League of Their Own. When Tom Hanks is just sleeping on the bench, not giving a crap about the, the games going on, acting like he's above everything. I just get those vibes from Tony La Russa. Yeah, talk about the good old boy network. That That's it to the nth degree. And if they uh, didn't hire anybody else, aren't there it. rules about, I know the NFL has them, uh, rules about interviewing minorities for these positions? Don't they have those kind of rules in MLB? I mean, what happened to the Sandy Alomar Juniors and uh, the Quintraro, Quintraro, whatever his name is, exactly. from Tampa Bay? Exactly. What about those Sandy guys? Alomar. You know, those guys didn't even get a sniff at any of these jobs. I don't. I know Sandy football Alomar has the Rooney rule, but qualified. I don't know if baseball does. Does baseball I don't have think that? Baseball I, does. I don't, I don't think baseball I don't think does. Baseball no, does. they may soon. Well, you know what though? This is a great segue, Bill. I think there. I think you're right because. History was actually made recently with the first female GM, who I must admit, somebody I never heard of, but Kim Eng was hired as the first female GM and the first Asian American uh, when she got the job to hire the Marlins. She was brought in by Derek Jeter to run the team, so very good for her. Congratulations, Kim. Talk about getting it, like understanding just the times that we're in. And you know what, though? Like, think about, like, this is such a great move for the sport, not only just baseball, but all sports. We've talked about, I think, on a couple of podcasts ago and how Major League Baseball never tries to change anything. And Major League Baseball just wants to be stuck in their ways. Guess what? Major League Baseball has a woman 
who is now running a franchise who is going to be in charge of player decisions, free agency, trades, releasing players, you name it. And she's been in the sport for a really long time. I mean, she was with the Yankees before she's been in the Dodgers organization. So she's no stranger to being in, you know, winning in, in winning environments and winning, winning cultures. But I look at it a little bit deeper. So humor me for one second here. So I don't talk a lot about my, what I do for work, but you know, what I do for work is, you know, I, I lead people. And to me, one of the biggest things that I've embraced this year more than any year in my role as, as a leader of people is the diversity and inclusion piece. And it's so much deeper than just black, white and, and everything else. I look at this as like, this is, this is like something where she is going to break down barriers and set a brand new precedent. Think about young girls who are 18, 19, 20 years old, getting out of high school that are going to go to college that want to get into a male dominated sport, whether it's, whether it's sports broadcasting or sports management, something to, to what Ing's doing right now, there, there's, there's actually hope for them. There's legitimate, there's like a legitimate opportunity for them here on out. You know, it's, you know, you don't have to be that, that young girl who's 19 years old who wants to potentially get into the front office of baseball or football or whatever the sport it is, but know probably at the end of the day that it's not going to happen. You now have someone to say like, Hey, she did it. I can do it too. And to me, like, I think that's awesome. And I think that the Marlins, they didn't hire her because she was a female. They hired her because she was the right choice. And I actually commend them for that. Like that is like, you hired a woman, she's Asian American. Like they, they, this is like, to me, like, this is such an awesome thing for the sport. And and it just, it opens the doors for so many people. I look at it like I have a younger sister who's been involved in sports since she was teen um, you know, she went, she played college sports. She now is a coach of a sport at, at a high school. You know, I just, I look at those things and I, and I see how she is with her team and her players. Women are just, you know, they, they, they can, they can do the same thing that we can and, and they, and they, they can make the same decisions to run these teams. And I think this is such an awesome thing for this sport and I'm excited for it and, I, and I'm happy to see it. Um, it was completely out of, you know, it was out of the blue. You know, I wasn't expecting to see this, but, um, uh, you know, kudos to the Marlins, kudos to Derek Jeter. And, and this is this is this is a big this is a big thing. And I wish it I wish I got a little more pub and press than what it did. Yeah, Chris, I can't add to that at all. What you just said was perfectly said in terms of the, the big picture and, and what this means to, to to sports and to the, you know, to the entire community. So I'm just going to I'm just going to hop on to, to the baseball part of it. This was an insanely good hire. There is, you will not find somebody in the baseball world who is more respected than her. She's a three-time World Series champ. She was part of the Yankees in '98, '99, and 2000. She, I mean, she, she's been all over. She worked in the commissioner's office. She is as good of a hire as you're gonna find to run your ball club. Uh, having said all that, you know the pressure's on now. She's gonna have to perform. And, you know, I, I I don't have any doubt that she will. You know, her, her resume is as strong as anyone's in baseball. And, and you know, I, you know, I'm happy for the Marlins fan base because they got a good one. And, you know, she's going to do good things for them. And, you know, let's see how it works out. You know, I'm not going to anoint her the best executive in baseball. She hasn't done anything yet. But, you know, she was a fantastic hire. And everything you just said, Chris, is right on. It, it, 
you know, I have a daughter now and, you know, when she's old enough to watch baseball, if, you know, she's still with the Marlins or with another ball club, you know, I'm going to tell her, I'm gonna, we're going to watch TV and I'm going to let her know that it's possible that she can, you know, run a ball club. She can go on there and be part of the baseball world, you know, if, if that's what she wants. So, you, you know, I can't, like I said, I can't add anything to it, Chris. You said it perfectly, but great hire by the Marlins. And, you know, Derek Jeter, he caught some flack when he first became the, you know, part ownership of, of the Marlins and kind of his decision-making, but he's done a fantastic job so far. And, you know, sometimes it just boils down to winner's win, man. And, you know, I was thinking about the whole women in sports thing. Just in the last few years, there's been a lot of women coaches in the NBA. Now we have women coaches in the NFL. Uh, there was a, a female coach in baseball this year with the Giants. Um, now you have a, a GM. We have broadcasters other than Jessica Mendoza because she's just not good. Female re- female referees. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say that in the, in the Patriots game um, Monday, uh, Sunday night. You had a woman ref when she's been in the league for a few years. It's kind of like you have women refs in, in basketball. It's kind of like you don't even notice it anymore. You know, you don't go, hey, that's a woman. No, it's just commonplace. She's a referee. And Belichick was chewing she her was. out just like he would do yeah, any other referee. So I say she just got that Belichick smoke on Sunday, and no one even said anything in terms of, you know, the sexes of the two human beings that were yep. that were going at it. And, and I think that's just, you know – an a great sign of kind of how things are in sports now. So who says we're always negative? There's some positivity there. I mean, we, we're not even – this isn't even a team that we really care about, Florida Marlins. But we're happy for them because they made a great baseball hire. And, you know, like Chris said, this is just for a sport that continuously shoots themselves in their own feet. This was awesome for the game of baseball. Now let's hope there are some other changes that they're thinking of that's going to make the game a little bit more watchable, but I think we can save that for another podcast in the future because we'll need stuff to talk about over the the, winter. Keep the universal DH, but we'll save that for another show. All right, so speaking of the Marlins, they made the postseason, so let's talk about the postseason for a little bit. Guys, what was your your take on the postseason this year? Any real surprises? I didn't really have – I wasn't surprised by too much in terms of the play and how it – kind of unfolded uh but i do have to say that the product itself was phenomenal what a playoffs that they had i mean the drama the moments the stars they kind of nailed it in like in terms of the game itself you know i'm on twitter a lot uh you know for better for worse i'm always in the twitterverse and you know there was buzz about baseball from people who don't buzz about baseball and that's a great sign and the playoffs were fantastic, you know, moment after moment, and, you know, I, I, I loved it. I enjoyed so much of it, and I know he's already caught a little flack in terms of uh, a potential decision that Rob Manfred and company could make in terms of the uh, neutral site World Series, but I, I said on our last show, I loved that too. I thought that was a, a cool little, you know, wrinkle in, in a game that I'm I'm not used to wrinkles happening in. I think the best thing about the bubble was there were no days off. Once they started, well, other than the World Series, but once they started the series, they played it straight through, which added a whole new dimension yeah. onto the playoffs, of managing pitching and, and things like that. So you know, that, that, that yeah. added to the postseason this year, I thought, more than, than took away from it. No, it completely did. And, and part of baseball that you know if you're not a baseball fan you might not get it but part of the the allure and part of 
the game itself is the 162. You know, football only has 16, 17 games because it's so physically grueling. So people always, you know, write off baseball that it's not physically demanding. It's not maybe in a one-day sample size, but it is in a 162 sample size. So, you know, taking out the days off and having them steamroll through and play and play and play, just it's that's how baseball is supposed to be played, in my opinion. It's not supposed to be, a, you know, an every other day or every third day event. Play every day because that's how, you know, that's how the cream rises to the top. That's how you separate, you know, I know we just talked about, you know, the newly uh, hired GM is a woman, but that's how you separate the boys from the men, right? You, you play every day, and I agree with you, but that was great. One thing I thought was interesting, in, in most years, the loaded team doesn't win the World Series. It's always somebody else who, who comes up, surprises you, wins it. This year we were saying it's a, it's a team like that if they can just get hot for a short amount of time, like we were saying that about the Red Sox. Well, if they can get halfway decent pitching and then get hot at the right time, maybe they can make the playoffs. Maybe they can steal a win or two, you know, win or two a series. Instead, it was the most loaded team, the Dodgers, that ended up winning the whole thing. So what do we know about any of this? No, I, I you know, I got to I gotta tell you that even though the Red Sox were not in this um, this offseason, I mean, not offseason, postseason rather, it was they better be them. in on this offseason. I hope they so. Freak, I, Bloom better be in on this offseason. I um, I was in on all of the playoffs. Like it just, it was entertaining. It was, you know, it, it you know, just the Padres series was entertaining. It was a good young team to watch. I was sorry to see them go out you know, as they, early as they did, though. I was hoping they would make I, a deeper run. Yeah, I agree. And you know, I. Even though the Dodgers, they won, and I didn't want the Dodgers to win, and I'm going to be honest with you as to why I didn't want them to win, I didn't want to see Mookie Betts win that quickly. <laughs> like, I have no problem with the Dodgers. They're, they're a solid team. They deserve to win. I just I hated seeing that Mookie Betts won literally right off the rip from being traded to the Red, from the Red Sox. So that's, that's kind of why I was on the Rays bandwagon. Um, but that... The ALCS was completely entertaining. The NLCS was entertaining. It, just baseball was fun. Like, when's the when's the last time that like baseball was this fun? Like, you know, we're Sox fans that were in tune to the to the throughout the entire playoff series. Like, the casual fan was hooked, and in it was it was a great it was it was what baseball needed. Um, you know, we got to see Randy Rosarena become a star. You know, the, it just. We got to see, you know, we just we got to see a a team like the Tampa Bay Rays, who who don't spend any money, be completely successful, which was huge in my opinion for Heim Bloom, because you know a lot of people are are saying that he's building his team based off the model of the Rays, which I think he's taking parts of how the Rays are built to the Red Sox, but he you know he has money to spend versus the Rays, so them going as far as they did, I think helps kind of you know further the cause of what he's trying to do i i enjoy this this entire postseason and i look i can't wait for i can't wait for next season chris you mentioned mookie Betts, and i'm kind of over it right now and i and i think one of the reasons was he didn't really show up in the in the postseason again it's not like he carried the dodgers to the world series had he led them to the championship that would be one thing but i think he was just along for the ride kind of like the the postseason record he had with the red sox I mean, his his numbers in the postseason were not that great, and now we've got an even bigger sample size because he 
pretty much played up to expectations of what he's done in the past this year with the Dodgers. And then, yeah, he had a home run in the final game. You know, they were already ahead by a couple of runs. I mean, it's kind of like when he does get the big hit, it's usually when they're ahead. It's I, I can't remember him getting that big hit to win a game. I can remember him making some great catches to win games, but I can't really remember him getting that big hit. And he did well, that I, in Boston, I, too. He hit that home run off Kershaw when the game was pretty much locked up and the series was pretty much over. You know, he, he came out to play when it was seemingly when the pressure was not as as palpable as it you know could have been. Yeah, again, he, you know, you he did tell, it with his glove and with his legs more than with his back. Yeah, I mean, he's a phenomenal player. He's There's no doubt that Mookie Betts is a phenomenal player, and, and this is me jumping in the driver's seat. I may jerk this steering wheel to the right we may go off the road here because i just have to get something off my chest in terms of mookie bets red Sox nation listen up go ahead pull up a chair sit down pour yourself a drink and listen up because mookie bets won a world series does not mean that the trade was bad for the boston red Sox. just because mookie bets is a superstar doesn't mean the red Sox punted away their chances of ever winning again because they dealt them away. Just because Mookie Betts was dealt away doesn't mean that the Red Sox are all of a sudden the Boston Tampa Bay Rays. No, I shouldn't have used Tampa Bay. I should have said Boston Rays. Boston Devil Rays. Okay? What happened before the season was Bloom needed to take care of business to create some flexibility so he could create what he wanted to do which is sustainability in doing so he had to trade away Mookie Betts okay I'm happy for Mookie you know he like you said Chris he already won a World Series and that's great but it wasn't like they traded him to the Pirates and he carried them to the World Series they traded him to the best team in baseball and guys like Cody Bellinger and guys like uh Kershaw and 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 the stars that in LA they actually carried Mookie Betts to a ring just like other players did in 2018 so Red Sox Nation and everyone else in baseball, stop giving Heim Bloom crap for trading away a player when it was the right move at the time. It is the right move now. And when you see things pan out over the next two or three years, it will be because they got rid of Price's contract. They got rid of the $30 million contract that Betts will have starting <clears throat> next year. So just because Betts is a winner does not mean the Red Sox are a loser. End of rant. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they would have brought in here. Whether it was Heim Bloom, you could have hired. You could have kept Dombrowski. You could have hired. Hell, you could hire anybody. People were going to be skeptical of, of whoever it is. It sucks because Heim Bloom is a smart dude who has made some. He's made some good moves. You know, just think about like he traded Mitch Moreland for two prospects, and Mitch Moreland isn't with the Padres anymore, and he got two good prospects. He traded. Heath Hembury and he traded Brandon Workman for Nick Pavetta, who in the, in the two, you know, start sample size that we got to see with him, like, okay, they got something there. And I'm excited to see what, you know, after a full spring training and, you know, he should be a candidate to maybe be the five or, you know, four or five in, in the rotation for them next year. You know, on top of that, they got Connor Siebold, a young prospect, you know, they drafted well and they had four picks and they, they seem to have made four pretty good picks. You know, they went and used some international money, which will be officially announced, I think, in January on that Richard Weiss guy that I wrote an article on a couple of months ago. Bloom is, has made some really good moves. Anybody who was coming in knew they had to move Mookie Betts. 
And to your point, it's time to stop, you know, it's time to stop bitching about it already. Like you had to make the move. The guy clearly wasn't going to come back here. Whether it was the Red Sox ownership that made that decision or Heim Bloom felt it was the right decision or it was Mookie. At the end of the day, it's over and done with. Okay, I'm tired of hearing about they're not going to go after the certain players because the ERAs are in the sixes and those are the players they go for. No, that's that's baloney. Hein Bloom did not have money to spend the last offseason. And in, in the players that he acquired, he turned them into something. He traded Kevin Pillar to the Rockies and, and got a guy who's, I believe, in the top 20 of their prospects right now. Who could and be in the back a, end of the bullpen this year. Like, you know, he went and got a guy in Josh Osage off waivers and traded him to the Cubs and got something back for him. Not all of those waiver wire pickups panned out. Valdez did. Valdez was pretty good. You know, like at some point you have to, you have to, you have to just look at it at face value and take a step back and stop being a pink hat fan and be like, okay, all right, let's let, let me just objectively look at the Boston Red Sox. Okay, they have no pitching. Their bullpen is terrible. They still got a decent offense, but they took a step back because you removed Mookie Betts from that offense. And, you know, to your point, Bill, yeah, I'm tired of the Mookie Betts narrative. I'm tired of it because, but Fox, every second they could get, would go ahead and say, well, the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts. Like, how could you trade Mookie Betts? Like, well, of course they're going to say that because people are going to react to it. They're going to tweet it. They're going to, and it's going to put more eyeballs onto the platform. Well, let's see how that works out in, in, in five years when Mookie is getting advanced in age and you're paying him Boku dollars. Let's see how that works for the Dodgers when they can't re-sign guys that's within their system. No, Fox was definitely pumping bets, but I, I just figured that was a marketing thing. I mean, that's what baseball needs. It needs to pump its good young superstars. And when you have them in that, you know, when you have them on the stage of the World Series, that's when you're going to push them. So, you know, I didn't think it was as much a slap against the Red Sox as it was just trying to pump the tires on bets. And, and market him out there to to a mass, <clears throat> excuse me, a mass audience. And they did that, but they also, I mean, if you weren't, you know, watching the games, you would have thought the Red Sox were in the <clears throat> World Series the amount of times that they were mentioned when it came to Mookie Betts. I mean, this guy won tacos for people, and all of a sudden it was crowned that Mookie Betts, you know, Doritos twice, twice, twice. He's a two-time yeah. taco winner. Put him in the Hall of Fame. He's a t- that that record you will never what? be that, broken. They should put that on the plaque. Yeah, two-time Sandoval World Series champ. Loves Mookie Betts right now. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, that belt is uh, that belt is holding on tight. If you've seen pictures of uh, Pablo Sandoval, no, but I think we all kind of agree that it just it was a move that had to be made, and it's time to move on. Cleveland Indians are in the same boat this year with Francisco Lindor. Let's see what they do. They sure are. They sure are. I, I mean, if if Indian fans think that they're gonna get that they're going to get the holy grail back for him. I, I, you know, I, unless you get a team, the, the only way that I see that the Indians really like completely maxing out Lindor is to move him to the Mets because the Mets new owner and they want to make a splash. They want to, they want to be relevant in New York. I mean, when's the last time the Mets are relevant in New York? Maybe when they were in the subway series. So they want to be relevant. So maybe they overspend. But if I'm the Indians, I want their top shortstop prospect, and I want some pitching back. And, you know, if you make that happen, then Lindor is going to go to the Mets. To me, if I'm them, I take the $20 million that Lindor is going to make this year, and I spread it around other places, and I go and I put I put some money into the bullpen. 
you know, and maybe get another starting pitcher. Maybe I look at Charlie Morton, but, but yeah, I mean, the Indians, they're in a tough spot. They're in a really tough spot because you have a really solid asset, someone that you shouldn't be trading, but you have to, because you don't want to spend the money. It'll be interesting who emerges as a suitor for him. I would have said the Dodgers a couple, you know, maybe a year ago this time because Seager was, you know, he had that, you know, coming off the Tommy John surgery and, and things like that. But I mean, Seager, Seager, I think, changed the narrative on him quite a bit with that with that postseason that he just had. Yeah, he there have been uh, numerous possible Francisco Lindor trade scenarios that have surfaced surfaced through MLB.com and other outlets. And I just think they're all kind of not accurate, honestly, because they have them trading, you know, for Dustin May. The Dodgers are not trading Dustin May for one year of Francisco Lindor. They are not doing that. The best type of move that the, the you know, and this is, I guess, you know, side note because we're not really a Cleveland Indians podcast, but the best move that they could do trading Lindor is trading them, like you said, because to a New York Mets and get an Ahmad Rosario, who's a proven solid big league shortstop, and like a Dom Smith, and then a prospect. You know, get some big leaguers. And I do think they'll be able to do that because. If you look back in the last few years in terms of trades that Cleveland's done, they've gotten very crafty in how they've acquired players and flipped players. You know, they've brought in guys like Fred Mill Reyes kind of, you know, secretly. And they brought in like Josh Naylor in part of the Mike Clevenger trade when, you know, people were thinking that Clevenger was going to be traded for more prospects. They brought in a big league ready outfielder who hit well for them in the postseason. So I think the Indians will be fine in trading Lindor. They're going to catch flack much like the Red Sox, but, you know, Sometimes it comes down to, to to more aspects than just the ball players in the field, you know, financials and stuff. So, you know, it is what it is, but he'll he'll be traded. That's why you have good front offices, you know, like they just again, I, I I know the Rays haven't won anything, but just look at what the Rays do. They draft well. Let me phrase that. They scout well, they draft well, they develop well. And by the way, they trade well. So why can't you build your franchise that way and then leverage free agency? Why does free agency need to be the end-all be-all? It feels like when free agency is the end-all be-all is when you put yourself in trouble. Like the Mets, they want to go ahead and they want to sign George Springer and Trevor Bauer, and they want to get JT Ramulto. Like, go ahead, have at it. Go ahead and add $80 million in payroll. And then in three years, when you have when you don't have the ability to move any of those guys because they're advanced in age and no team wants to take on their salary and their age, you're stuck and you're the Mets again. Like it's time to like understand the way that these sports are going. And baseball's not the only sport that's that's going in this direction. Hockey is. Look what the Bruins have done. That talk about a team that's drafted that scouts and drafts well. And they, they have a really good operation in how they build their team. So, you know, it, it's infuriating to me when I see people that just like hate on this team because they just are so focused on the names on the back of the jerseys. It's just like, dude, like enough, just stop already. But you guys are the same people who read the articles. So I want to thank you for that <laughs> and keep on reading. But I mean, you can you can do both. I don't see why you can't do both, and we've talked about it so many times. Why you can't build from within and yet still have the flexibility to go out and bring in that free agent that last piece that you need to solidify something 
I don't see why it's they're mutually exclusive. And and before we get too far off the rails, I want to go back to the World Series for a minute. We talk about the way the Rays do things, and the Rays are big on analytics. And I want to talk about the most controversial move in the series was taking out Blake Snell in Game set Game Seven or Game Six? Was that Game Seven or Game Six? Did it go Seven? Six. six. No, it went six. six in the final game. Taking him out in what was it? The sixth inning when he had only thrown like. 77 pitches and he was dealing but he was coming up to the top of the order again for the third time through and they and manager kevin cash decided to take him out i hated that move and that's all analytics the guy was dealing like legendary for world series games you can go back and look at in the history of world series guys like jack morris kurt schilling guys that just gutted their way through performances and and here he's being taken out in the sixth inning with only 77 pitches thrown. To me, that right there is the poster child for all of what's wrong with baseball right now. I, I'm gonna, I completely agree because I, I used to be a humongous pro, like I was very pro analytics, and now I am becoming more and more sour to, to analytics because it's ruining the game that I love. In what world would you take out a guy like Blake Snell, who is what 76 pitches or whatever into the game, dealing? You take him out because the binder tells you to? That is ruining baseball. Sometimes it's about putting your best against their best. Who cares about past numbers? Because the past numbers are exactly that, past numbers. They don't account for what happens in the moment. And in the moment, the Dodgers could not hit Blake Snell. I know he gave up a hit before they took him out, but there are multiple. a runner's not going to score from first base on a whim. You would have had multiple chances to take him out after it if if you could see him unraveling. This is, you know, and and I don't know if we're going to dive into this more, but this was part of Theo's uh, farewell little speech was that he was part of bringing analytics to the forefront of baseball, and he kind of regrets it because it's ruining the fun of the game and letting the players do their thing. And that was the perfect example of the manager getting in the way of the players. I don't mind analytics. I, I, I like for me personally, I don't mind it. They're a tool. I also think though that you need. To, They're a tool. They're not the be all end all. I, They're a tool. Exactly. I agree. Exactly. I think, I think though that you, as a manager, you need to have a pulse of. You gotta have the pulse of the game and have a have a feel. Like you're gonna like, Kevin Cash should have had a feel, to be like, hey, you know what? Blake Snell has been dominant, and there's no reason to take him out. Like I understand that the information probably told him that hey it's time to take him out but what we were seeing on the mound dictated that no that wasn't the right that wasn't the right move to make and ultimately they lost the world series because of that now no one knows if the rays would have won anyway but the eye test and what we were seeing was saying like hey that wasn't the right move and it sucks too because like kevin cash is a good manager and that's going to be his black eye like that's his grady little moment and that sucks because like he's a good manager so what i like about cora is that he has a feel of the game but he also isn't afraid to go ahead and take a look at what the computer is going to say as well and i'm happy that at the end of the day they're not going to have a guy that's going to be holding the ipad you know trying to figure out what the decision is going to be made like at least cora is going to have the ball to say you know what i think i'm going to keep whoever out there hey i'm going to keep chris sale out there for one more inning you know, so 
it, it's it it sucks. You know what I mean? Like I think the biggest thing that I'd like to see baseball stop with is is kind of like downgrade the shifts a little bit. You know, allow them to shift, but maybe you know reduce the amount of that you get to see with it. Get the ball and play a little bit more. Um, but these managers just gotta have a feel for the game. Well, have a feel for the I game. mean, with with the Snell situation, how about walking out to the mound and looking in his eye and seeing if the fire is there to 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 right. to elevate himself to that moment of of where he was. Plus, it was Mookie Betts coming up who he had already struck out twice earlier in the game. I mean, you want to talk about analytics? He had Mookie's number that night. So I don't know. It just it's infuriating to to see things like that and just the parade. I mean, it's bad enough you had how many bullpen games in the playoffs. You know, they don't have enough pitching to go around now, and here you have a guy that's just dealing, and he gets taken out after six innings. I don't know. It's just not good. Not a good sign for baseball if that's the trend where it's going now. And Chris, you mentioned Theo or Mike. Uh, Mike, who's Mike? Matt, you you mentioned <laughs> Theo. Um, we we forgot to mention this earlier. Theo, uh, in a surprise announcement, stepped down as the president of the Cubs today. Yeah, he. Uh, I guess he wanted to spend some time with his family and work on some of his nonprofits and kind of you know get some time away from the game of baseball. Personally, I think he is about to jump into politics, but uh, you know that's just my personal feeling. I don't have anything really to go off it because surprise, surprise, Theo and I are not buddies. <clears throat> That's a different take. I, I've heard a few different things, and I, I think one of them that I wouldn't be surprised on would be is he um, if he takes the year off and maybe he gets involved in that expansion franchise that they're trying to put together out of Nashville. You know, I look at I look at Theo, and you know, obviously the first thing that people do is say like, oh, he's going to go to the Mets. Well, why? Like, what does Theo have to prove as a GM at this point or a leader of baseball operations? He has won now with two teams that have, the, have had the longest drought in the history of sports championships in their sport, the Sox and the Cubs. He has nothing else to prove from that perspective. So maybe it's, you know he jumps into you know, a chairman role or a someone who is now involved as an owner of a franchise. I think what I would like to kind of see people kind of pump the brakes on is him coming back to Boston. Like there's no, not zero chance, zero chance. Not well. We said the same thing about Cora too. So, but at least not for the next few years. I mean, when he's, but no, if he he takes a year off, and then decides to come back, I don't think they'll be done with Bloom at that point. So I don't, I don't see Theo stepping in then. What I can see is commissioner of baseball. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's my prediction. Is we will see him as commissioner of baseball at some point. Maybe not in a year or two, but I, I could see him stepping into a role like that. I could see that, and that wouldn't be a bad play, um, you know. And if my and my, my thoughts would be is like if he like for example if he was to come back to the Red Sox after a year, does he is he that like for example like John Henry like we haven't seen that guy since what February. He hasn't been out and about like he hasn't made you know he hasn't had made those appearances where we've seen him. So who knows what kind of like what's going on there, but. Is Tom Warner someone as well that maybe he's advanced in age and is, you know, late 60s, early 70s? So could Theo come in and slide in and be the chairman of the Red Sox? Like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, going on here and saying, like, that's going to happen. I'm just kind of throwing it out there. Like, if he was going to come back to the Red Sox, to me, like, that's a move that maybe he would want to take. But again, all speculation. 
you know, Matt said politics, you know, people have said that expansion franchise, maybe the guy just wants a year off and maybe he doesn't go back to baseball. Maybe he goes to another sport. Maybe he goes. I don't think he ever goes back to baseball. I I, I think he's done with baseball. When you, you know, I'm a, I have no problem admitting I am a Theo Epstein stan. That there is no one in, in any sport that I look up to more than Theo Epstein. That guy is a god to me. So I listened to many interviews with him, and I've kind of followed his career throughout the years. And two things, you know, I've noticed is that he he get he baseball has gotten stale to him. Uh, when he was on the Red Sox, his final years, he just you know threw a bunch of money at Kyle Crawford and threw a bunch of stuff at at, at San Diego to get Adrian Gonzalez. And when it worked out, he left. You could tell he wasn't in it as he used to be. So then where does he go? He goes to Chicago. Gets the same type of thing going that he did in Boston. What is left for you to do in baseball when you end an 86-year curse and a 100-year curse? This guy has ended almost 200 years in curses in his career. There is nothing left in baseball for him to do. And if you kind of follow and read the tea leaves and and listen to kind of his interest, he has been dabbling in the DNC, in the Democratic Party. People have even asked him to his face, are you the savior of the Democratic Party? And he, of course, poo-pooed it. But when you're when your reasoning is your family, you know, as someone who's you know has a young family, I completely understand. Bill, you got kids; you would love to be with the kids. You've been with them, you know. You love being around them when they grew up and going to their games. I completely understand that end of Theo Epstein's desire. But when you talk about your nonprofit, that's kind of a key word and a little bit of a buzzword for me to for politics. And and I think that's kind of the, the route he'll go. Maybe commissioner in baseball is where he ends up. And I haven't heard that. But now after hearing you, you know, you guys mention it, that's a great. I just made that up off there, the top of my head. He I didn't be, hear it anywhere. I think that's I think it's fantastic. I think it's a fantastic idea because, you know, <laughs> we had in our show notes the bumbling, uh, <laughs> potentially drunken Rob Manfred at the end of that World Series. So I think a Theo Epstein, you know, would be a fantastic improvement. Uh, uh, to Rob Manfred and what he's done with the Cubs and the outreach to the communities he's done in Boston and Chicago. This guy's bound for bigger things than baseball, and he's conquered baseball. So I think his days in baseball are done. Uh, you know what he ends up doing is his own business, and whatever you're doing, Theo, if you want a personal assistant, want you, I'll let you boy. I do want to get back to Manfred yeah, I... and, and his post game celebration, but I did read. Um... Theo, Theo said today that the reason he stepped down was he was planning on leaving after next season anyway, and the Cubs are going to be going through a similar thing to what the Red Sox did this year where they got to pair their payroll and kind of go through a, a rebuild. Yep. And he also yep. said that his intention was to leave after next year anyway because he doesn't think anybody in a leadership role should spend more with, more than 10 years with an organization because after a while you kind of lose, lose focus, you lose your intensity, and – People stop listening to you, so you need to bring in a fresh new leader to reinvigorate the franchise and and also to get a fresh perspective on how things are done, which I thought was really, really interesting, um, a different perspective on it. He said he got that from Bill Walsh, the former coach of the 49ers, and I started thinking about the Patriots having Belichick in place for over 20 years now, so I, I, I thought that that was yeah. a, an interesting take on things. And I do want well, to say, though, you know, when I say politics, I don't mean he's going to run for office. I mean, like, he will be behind the scenes 
orchestrating, developing, producing, you know, doing those types of, uh, uh, you know, putting those dots together, not not literally being in, you know, uh, an elect. We're not going to be electing Theo Epstein to any major uh, political <clears throat> position. I just think he will be. So he could he's be running for team. governor of Massachusetts. So he's running team? after Baker. So, oh, he li- went in the landslide guy. He would. He, oh, God. Not the one to get all political. Like, you know, James could win in a landslide. The, 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 the way that people are, you know, how they feel about Baker, which, again, I have no issues with, with the decisions he's made, but whatever. But um, what one thing that I that I stumbled upon today in regards to Theo is that there has been speculation that he fell massively short with what he did in the Cubs, and I and I think that is. I think that that is such a bad take. Like any any organization is gonna is gonna trade that championship. Like the Cubs have been competitive. They've had good young flush talent come up through that system. You know, granted, Theo has made some questionable signings. Like the Jason Hayward contract is as an albatross. Like that's a terrible deal. You know, I even like I would say the U Darvish. I mean, he had a great year last year, but the U Darvish. Signing was a bad deal. He's made some bad no, signings. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. You I, Darvish has been a stud. He's one of the few big time pitchers that's actually panned out. So okay, well, all right. Then we'll, I'll go. The Hayward signing was bad. Like the, the Hayward signing was a bad signing. Well, he, the know? Hayward signing was bad. I think Theo's biggest problem is he gets a little bit too uh, in the moment and makes moves to win now a little bit too aggressively and to your point jason hayward is a perfect example of that trading uh eloy jimenez for uh jose quintana Quintana, was was part of that he did the same thing for the red sox he's put too much money in carl crawford and he sent anthony rizzo for adrian gonzalez and you know he he gets i think he gets wrapped up in trying to win now the adrian gonzalez deal though that was a good move though that was that was a good move i mean we didn't know that 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 dude was gonna be a puss bag you know, at the time, and and be you know a quiet malcontent essentially. No, you're in right. The clubhouse. You're right. And I loved but I loved was, him on the team. I thought move. Adrian Gonzalez on the Red Sox was an awesome acquisition, and I loved him when he would, was brought in. I thought he was going to be a, an absolute monster, and he was at for a little while there. So you know, you're right. It, it's but I just think like you know, when you when you compile all those things into his entire resume, you see the consistencies like Hayward Crawford. He gets a little bit too Ben Zobrist. Another example, you know, he gets a little I, bit too. I, in, you know what, though, Ben Zobrist, I would have loved him in Boston. Ben Zobrist, utility guy, can play all those positions. Like, at, that's right, but by player. the time he, by the time he brought at, him in, yes, he wasn't the young guy playing all those positions. He was like a mediocre switch hitter that played a couple. Yeah, but he positions, helped him win a World so. Series. The, oh, he was part of the World Series, no question. And that, but, and and all those things yeah. you're talking about, guys, those are footnotes in Theo's resume. The big thing is he broke the 86-year curse with the Red Sox, won two World Series with them, and then broke the 120-year curse or whatever it was with the Cubs and won a World Series there. I mean, that, Oh, yeah. We're nitpicking here. We're definitely nitpicking. Theo Epstein's the greatest team builder that has ever been in, in, in the extreme. Although I will sport. say Duquette Theo built Epstein most is- of the 0-14. i got to give Duquette some credit for that. But Theo was the one who had the balls to trade Nomar away, and that was what iced the deal in 0-4. Yeah, and- that was a humongous move. Right, that he was went, and that was a huge move to win that World Series. He signed David Ortiz for one point two five million dollars. Like that was 
franchise altering. Theo Pedro takes all the credit Theo for that Jackson one. Well, yeah, well. Hey, Pedro can do whatever he wants, baby. <laughs> He's Pedro. Petey can you do know. whatever he wants. It was honestly, it was really after that 2003, you know, complete utter meltdown and that heartbreak that we all had to feel when Aaron Boone hit that home run off of Tim Wakefield. Which, by the way, teaser, there will be an article coming out called the Turkey Day Trade, which I would like to have ready for next week. We'll kind of talk a little about this, but is that when the Red Sox? Traded away Casey Folsom? <laughs> uh, the great Casey Folsom. Yes, sir. They sure did. You know, funny funny little story about my personal life. When uh, I had talked so much smack in school about the Red Sox that after they lost to the Yankees, when Aaron Boone hit that home run, I didn't go to school the next day. So I don't know what that says. I just wanted to bring it out there. Uh, not that I want to rehash that feeling inside, but I can tell you that I was I was home. And I, I can, I can, like, I can see it. It's clear as day right now. I, I, the, I can see how the, the furniture was arranged in my parents' house, like where the couch was. I was sitting on the couch. There was a table in front, and on the table, in the middle of the table, we, it was like little superstition. We had lit a candle, back when they played the A's in the first round, and whatever was with the candle, we just kept lighting it, kept lighting it. I remember sitting there looking at the candle. I was on the phone with now my ex-girlfriend, who her dad was a giant Yankees fan. And whenever Aaron Boone hit that home run, I think I was silent on the phone for like 40 minutes. I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. It was just like one of those where like if you ever talked on the phone and fell asleep talking to the person you were talking to, it was like I didn't say anything. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't feel anything other than just like that for me was like – I was in a like I, I was a Red Sox fan finally like I got to feel that letdown you know what I mean like and I and I'm, you know you know Bill you can attest you know you've seen some things with the Sox that you know can bring you back like you know my dad 86 nothing tops you know, 86 you know my I, nothing will ever top 86 I remember hearing you know I I remember hearing and talking to my dad and him saying like he's you know at the edge of the couch tears in his eyes getting ready like it's gonna happen and then and then that happened you know what I mean like. 2003 for us is 86 and I struggle even today. Like I, like I swear to God, like it's hard for me to watch that home run on a YouTube or a Twitter or anything. Like I can't watch it. It it still stings and hurts, even though they won as much as they had. So it's just, it's, it's crazy what sports, you know, do to us and, and how it like, but at the end of the day, the end of the day, we got C4 championships, and Theo Epstein was a major, major part of that. He had the balls to go out and get Kurt Schilling. He, you know, he had, to your point, the balls to trade Nomar. I mean, he's traded Manny. You know, he's he's drafted. He drafted Dustin Pedroia, called him up, let the dude hit a you know a buck and change, and stuck with him. And you know, like Theo, Theo is a Hall of Famer in baseball and greatest of all time. And I, I, you know, if he wants to go into politics or he wants to become the commissioner, like the dude, he has punched his ticket to do whatever he wants, and I fully support that. And, and you know what? I'm all in on, on, on Theo. I do have to say one quick thing for any listener out there who is uh, 18 years or younger. 
when Chris says phone, he doesn't mean his cell phone. It <laughs> oh, was a landline. It, it, oh, it yeah. could have had a cord or it had a big it antenna cordless. on it, and you had to dial it, and you punch buttons, and you had to memorize it or write it down because it wasn't saved in that phone. So when he called his girlfriend, he either knew that number or he wrote it down and always referred to that piece of paper. Uh, and a piece of paper was actually something we used to write numbers down on, and we took messages down before or voicemails, and there was this thing called an answer machine. I'm not trying to get into technology, but I'm just saying that it was not his iPhone. It was not an iPhone, and I think we were almost together three years. I think we actually broke up the Easter after that, so I blame Aaron Boone. Scarred me. Which is also why I love that the Yankees hired Aaron Boone, because it just makes me hate them even more. All right, can we get back to Rob Manfred and his post-game uh, celebration, which... <laughs> I did not see because, you know, Bill, Bill, when I heard it the next, <laughs> when I heard it the next the day, I burst out laughing, which is something I do not usually <laughs> do when I hear or see something. I'll chuckle inside to myself, but I actually burst out laughing when I, when I heard that. What a disgrace for somebody like that to, to go on in that condition and hand out a, a trophy, a postgame trophy. And represent your sport. How how does how did how did it get away with as little press as it did? Because it's baseball. Nobody cares. Cares. Hey, because it happened after most people went to, to bed. His further failings as commissioner. That's just. And, and, and did you hear the lame excuse that was made after this happened of why he was whatever he was? No. His earpiece had a delayed feedback, and sometimes when it's not in sync, it allows it, it creates confusion for people who wear it. What? I gotta remember that in the future. Just Next time I'm hammered out. on a podcast, I gotta remember on. that. There's a little bit of delay in my headphones. Ah. When, when episode 100 <laughs> happens, we're all having a roundtable, having some fun. We all need. To hey, spoiler that, alert. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but yeah, that that was insane. That was, I mean. Rarely in life do you get a chance to absolutely bury somebody for something so bad, like with Rob Manfred after presenting to Corey Seager the uh, the MVP trophy. I mean, everyone doesn't like. No one likes this guy. Everyone knows that he is not the guy to embrace baseball and to be the commissioner of the MLB. And then he just goes out and. I mean, it was so bad. People were worried that maybe he had a stroke in the middle of it. He sounded like that reporter. Remember that viral video maybe five or six years ago with a reporter on the, uh, yeah, on the news? Just started just saying of, random words. Blah, 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 blah. Just started. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it was insane. And we haven't heard anything since. Like no one, nothing. Weird, real weird. All right, let's let's uh, let's get the movement going. Theo 2022, MLB commissioner. Let's do it. Nothing would make me happier. What he would do for baseball would be phenomenal. All right, guys, one last thing I want to touch on. More. Oh, actually, we had the postseason awards that came out. I wanted to talk about that, too. So the postseason awards, I got to say, I, I don't put an asterisk on the season overall and the Dodgers winning the World Series. I kind of put an asterisk on the postseason awards, though. 
And the reason I, I do that is you win an award for a 162-game season, you've grinded it out through the whole thing. Anybody can get hot for 60 games and, and play above their level. Now, all the guys who won the awards, they're, they're all proven players, so I wouldn't say that there was any fluke in there. But I, I just kind of take those awards with a grain of salt after a 60-game season. Am I wrong with that? Talk, talk me off the ledge if you think I'm wrong. Uh, I would have to say I don't think you're wrong because your reasoning is sound in, in what you're saying. But I think that when you look at who actually won these awards, you know, they're good ball players. The the one that comes to mind that might have been a little, you know, quote unquote fluky is Jose Abreu winning the AL MVP. Uh, I love Jose Abreu. Uh, I think he's a phenomenal baseball player. I think that, you know, he was probably never a front runner for the world to to win the MVP uh, in his career, but the guy is just a consummate pro. Uh, so I'm happy for him, but I don't think he probably would have won if there was 162. But other other than that, I think that that if there was 162 played, I do think that these players could have easily been the ones awarded. So you know, obviously with only 60 games being played, it's impossible to not give it an asterisk because you know, how different it is from every other season. But in general, the players who won, you know, I'm happy for them, and and they're good ball players, So it is what it is. I was happy to see Jose Abreu uh, win the uh, AL MVP. I had him in fantasy in one of my leagues that I got him. Uh, I'm in a, the league that I'm in. We do, uh, it's like money contracts. And I got him on the cheap, and, and I was definitely uh, reaped the benefits off of that. But um, I... I, that's a dude that that should have been a Red Sox, and you know he, he would have looked great in Boston. But he had a great year, and you know he's one of those guys that the White Sox have. That again, older player. I mean, he's in his what early to mid thirties, but you know he's still raking. He's still he's still one of the premier bats in the game. So I was happy to see him win that. I was happy to see Freeman win too, because by all accounts, he's a really good guy. Good teammate, you know, good for the sport. And he also got whacked hard with a coronavirus before the season even started and was in pretty rough shape. So for him to bounce back from that and have the season he did win the MVP, you know, good for him on that. I've already forgotten half of the other people who won it. The two rookies of the year, never even heard of them. I got to admit, never heard of these guys. I don't do fantasy like you guys, so I don't I don't know all the players on all the teams, and especially this year without uh, the Red Sox not leaving the East Coast. We didn't get to see a lot of the players in the in the central and the in the west divisions. Last topic I wanted to talk about was uh, the Hall of Fame inductees or the el- new eligible players for the Hall of Fame were announced um, this week. Not n- really nobody that I could see maybe even being hall worthy, never mind being first ballot worthy and I'll read off the names. Uh, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, Tory Hunter, May, you know, arguably a Hall of Famer, perhaps. Definitely not a first ballot. Aramis Ramirez, Barry Zito, Nick Swisher, hate him with a passion of a thousand sons, A.J. Burnett, Dan Heron, Shane Victorino, former Red Sox briefly, Latroy Hawkins, and Michael Kadire. That's your list of new players coming out this year. So I don't see any of these guys really stealing a lot of votes from the writers. So is this the year that Bonds and Clemens and Schilling finally get in? I think Schilling's got a good chance. He, he's been trending up all these years. He's in his last year on the ballot. He got 70% last year's vote. 
I th- I'd say he's got the best chance of anybody. I just hope that his politics doesn't keep him out, which has been his problem is he can't keep his mouth shut and he can't stay off Twitter. Or he's probably on whatever new one that just started up for, for right-wing people. But do you think these guys have a shot have a <laughs> shot to get in this year? I think if there was a year for these guys to get in, it's this year. This, I mean, when I look at the list in terms of the, you know, the newly eligible players, I don't see, in terms of my personal hall, I don't see a single player that should go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, but when you look at Bonds, Clemens, Schilling, it's time to stop playing around. And I hope maybe, I mean, like you said, people, these guys are kind of trending up and, and, the idea of the whole steroid era and stuff like that is kind of loosening, and, and and I think this might be the year. Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling, all three of them should be in. I don't think anyone would argue that. Bonds is the all-time home run leader. If he's not a Hall of Famer, then why have a Hall of Fame? What's the point of having a Hall of Fame if your most prolific home run hitter can't even get in? And, you know, Clemens, for me as a Red Sox fan, I, I'm a little bit younger to remember uh you know his mark that he left in the red sox but my dad loved the rocket and he was great for other teams when i was more you know cognizant of of baseball and following along more closely these guys need to be in it's time to stop messing around get them in and hopefully such a weak you know introductory class can be the catalyst to get them and there aren't a lot of strong leftovers either andy pettit todd helton Andrew Jones, Manny Ramirez is is back again for another round. Gary I mean, Sheffield, I mean, all, all right, all the holdovers are just more quote unquote steroid guys that deserve to get in. So like Andy Pettit, would I put him in? He he flirts with it, but not if Clemens isn't in. You know what I'm saying? And like Todd Helton, Todd Helton's not really a Hall of Famer to me. I love Todd Helton. I was a huge Todd Helton fan. I don't think he's Hall of Fame worthy. Same with Scott Rowland. You know, Bobby Abreu, maybe he can get in. But if guys like Manny, guys like Sosa, guys like Bonds are not in, then I guess none of them should be in. I remember what you said last time we talked about this last year when we talked about the Hall of Fame. And you said, it's the Hall of Fame, it's not the Hall of Very Good. And a lot of these guys were very good players, but not Hall of Fame players, not in my opinion. You know, I if I have to agree. circle some names on this ballot here... Um, I would I would circle Andy Pettit as painful as painful as it is to say that because he just he was just he was so good with the Yankees. Like this guy's won two hundred and fifty six. And especially in the big like games. The he was a big game pitcher. Yeah. He was. He feels he like was. a Yankees shilling. Yep. That's a good analogy. He won his career high, like he won twenty one games twice. You know, and if he pitched today, he wouldn't get out of the sixth know, inning because he'd be taken out. Yeah, probably. Yeah, he can't he go three would. times through the lineup. But it, it, but Andy Pettit pitched over 200 innings. It looks like, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten times in his 18-year career. That's Guys don't go 200 innings anymore. You know, like that's just not heard of. You know, so I, I, I think Andy Pettit, you know, his time in, in New York, he – well, for example, his – this time in the Yankees, he had 219 wins, a 3.94 ERA. He's got a career 3.85 ERA. He's got 256 wins, 153 losses. I, you know, 
I would I would put Pettit in there. Um, Tim Hudson was good, you know, but he's not a Hall of Famer. Um, Torrenta was good, not a Hall of Famer. Aramis Ramirez is not even in the conversation. I, I don't delete him off the list. I always like Barry Zito. I don't think of him as as a Hall of Famer. He signed with the Giants. It was a and, huge and bust just, with the Giants. Had that huge contract and did not live up to it. Didn't even come close. Nick Swisher is a journeyman, not a not a Hall of Famer. You know, AJ Burnett is to me, he's like Nathan Avaldi. It's like the same kind of arm. You know, um, same thing. Dan Heron, journeyman, good pitcher, but you know, Victorino. Thank you for that grand slam. One of the greatest things. You know, the highlights of that that 2013 season. Latroy Hawkins played for 48 teams. Like that dude's not a Hall of Famer. Kadire, all set. You can make an argument for Todd Helton. You know, to me, if Larry Walker got in, then I think Todd Helton can 100% be in the conversation. Um, I think the steroids guys, you know, it was part of the game. The game didn't do anything to try to clean it up at the time. And the game is just responsible as, as those guys were. For, for taking it, for not doing anything. So, yeah, Manny should be in. Sammy should be, yeah, I don't know yet. I'll hold off on that one. But Barry Bonds, should, those guys all should be in. All should be in. Sammy hit over 600 home runs. He did. He did. I still struggle with, with Sammy Sosa. But I think at the end of the day, he will someday get in. He had 609 home runs, 273 average. Then again, so did Mark McGuire, and I don't even know if he's still on the ballot. Correct. I mean, looking at his looking at his baseball reference, though, like, wow, you know, 158 RBI one year, 66 home runs, 158, 63, 141, 51, 38, 64, 160. Like, I don't care what you're taking. That's crazy. Like, those are some crazy numbers. Um, it's an interesting ballot, and and as we and as each year gets you know, comes on and we get older and we, we start to look at these players that we grew up watching. We're going to be like, huh, no, not a chance. You know, I, I look at this, I look at this ballot right now and this is not, this is not a Hall of Fame ballot. These are not Hall of Fame players. No, not, I mean, we, 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 I mean, Bill, you mentioned it, the Hall of Very, the Hall of Very Good. I'm looking at this, the new guys. This isn't even a Hall of Very Good. This is a Hall of Solid Ball Players. This is a good free agent class. That's about it. <laughs> it's, it's a decent, it's a decent free agent class not even a good and like i i get there you know there's some dirt associated with some of these names but can we not give credit to to what sosa and mcguire and bonds did for the actual game of baseball like ken griffey jr got in obviously deservingly so but people factored in what he did for baseball and they're not doing that with the steroid guys. And I understand steroids are terrible and blah, 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 and it's such a disgrace and yada, yada, yada. But these guys, I mean, the 98 season saved baseball. Can you imagine if there was no 98 home run race, what we would think about for baseball in 2020, considering the state it's in now? If there was no, if there was no invigoration in 98, what would baseball be today? I think baseball would be in trouble. It's it is in, in trouble, trouble anyway, right. but I'm saying without, it's in trouble now. But it, 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 those guys allowed at least for a potential twenty-something year buffer, you know. Some so these listen. 
what Sosa did, and like sometimes this is the same thing. It's we talked about this briefly earlier. Analytics opposed to the game, you know. Yes, all these things happen, and yes, but at the same time, like the moments that they brought to the game, you know, the fanfare that they brought to the game, the real life, and you know, the things you can see, the things you can feel, the things you witness, the things you tell your friends about. These players were major contributors to those moments and to just throw it away because maybe they took steroids or in some cases they did take steroids. Just like, okay, so what are we going to do about the guys who were doing, you know, cocaine in the 70s? What are we going to do about the guys who took greenies? Are we just going to police everybody or are we going to talk about baseball and what they did for the MLB? I don't know. I just think it's time for man. The fact that Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame, just throw everyone else out then. The guy's the all-time leading home run. When he hit 74 home runs or whatever it was, I mean, this is – that was the one of the most incredible can't miss a single at-bat for him in the whole summer, right? And how often does that happen in baseball, especially now? Who, who, who do you call your buddies like, hey, he's up? Nobody. Like, stop, MLB, stop shooting yourself in the foot. You know, it is what it is. If you want to put an asterisk in the hall, do what you got to do. It doesn't really matter. But stop pushing away the players that made this game so much fun to watch. When I was growing up, when Chris, when you were growing up, Bill, you've seen all of this. You know how you, you know how exciting these guys are. Like, to act like they should just be pushed away is insane. I mean, the all-time... Hits leader isn't in the Hall of Fame because of gambling. Like we all gamble now. Who cares? Oh, it's just diff- I different stand. circumstances. Don't don't get me going on that it's one. It's certainly no, different. It's different, but it's not that much different. Right? Uh, yeah, it is. But I don't want I don't want to go. His manager, I don't I don't want to go right? into the Pete Rose thing. But I, I I used to be one of those guys that would say, oh no, they took steroids. You know, they were, they were steroids guys. I'm softening on that. I know a lot of the older sports writers are softening on that too. And I think it's that theory of everybody was doing it at that time, because you you see these other guys that that were proven to be doing it, and and you know they weren't the type of players that Bonds and Clemens were, and and both of those guys were Hall of Fame players even before they allegedly started taking steroids. Bonds was a five-tool player; he wasn't just a home run hitter. Oh, his arm wasn't that great. Oh, his arm wasn't that great, so I'll give him four tools. The guy was just a, a, a tremendous player. He was a Right, he was great. And he won how many MVPs but, I mean, with the Pirates like, before he started doing the stuff? Two or three? Two, I think. Two or three, yeah. I think it was two. But, Bill, but like, you know, you're you're a little bit older than Chris and I, so you've seen, you know, numerous players. Like, the guys you, you saw as a kid were clean and – Well, they were, doing, they were doing the greenies, so like you talked about. That was big back in the, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Right. It's a different type of drug, right? That, those are the drugs that push them through the 162, that kept them performing, you know, throughout. I, I, but I, I understand like where your stance would be on on the steroids guys because you saw other players before the steroid guys. But for Chris and I, like those are our guys. Like those are everything we know. It's tougher, and and like you said, you're softening. So I think we're all kind of on the same page. As time goes on, you look back and you're like. Man, these guys were well. Phenomenal I'm softening on guys like Bonds and, and Clements because they were great players. You know, even without the steroids, they would have been great players. They would have been Hall of Famers. And I think that they've served their punishment 
long enough. It's it's time for them to get in. Some of the some of the other guys that I think were only the great player because of steroids, like McGuire, like Sosa, you know, those guys were nothing or not nowhere near the player that they were before they started with the steroids. Those are the guys that I have kind of the problem with. You know, when you look at other guys and say, okay, well, did th- was this guy clean? Was this guy clean? Had he taken steroids, would he have been the type of player Sosa and McGuire were? We'll never know that, and it's only speculation. But, you know, that's – look at a guy like um, Jeff Bagwell. You know, we, we it's been suspected he took steroids, but it was never proven. He's in the hall. Right. So – no, it's a good point. It's a good point. And and those guys like obviously like skepticism is going to come up. But if they didn't take steroids and nobody took steroids, they would probably probably still be, you know, the marquee homer and hitters. It just wouldn't be yeah, as it would have been 66, it might have only been 46. Right. So I mean, they, it, it's tough to kind of it's all like you said, it's tough to to know for sure and it's tough to you know, go back and and, and kind of play out revisionist history but it is what it is and it happened so i don't know it, it just feels like another unwritten like the unwritten rules that kill baseball today it's just okay it happened but whatever let's we got to get past it it just we can't police these players into i don't know well if whatever. no like if said, none of these guys get in this year it wouldn't be unprecedented for nobody to get in. It happened just as, I think, 2013 was the last year that nobody actually got voted in. But there'll still be an induction ceremony because there was the one from this past summer that got canceled because of coronavirus with Jeter and uh, Larry Walker. Those guys will still get their ceremony next year. Hopefully they'll get a ceremony next year. Yeah, let's hope. All right, guys, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? We had a lot to talk about today. No, I mean, I'm I'm just I'm looking forward to, you know, I kind of said it a little bit earlier in regards just to kind of circle back about the Sox, that it kind of feels like they're finally moving forward. You know, they're finally moving towards like they have a little more of an identity. You know, they have an ownership that's willing to spend money. They have a front office who it feels like isn't afraid to make some moves. You know, I have a manager, you have a coaching staff. Ready to get into free agency, see what Heimblum does, and you know, see what new guys they can bring in here to elevate what we saw last year. But um, you know, I'm just I'm excited for that, and then uh, I'm excited for the next the next show. We can talk about free agency, like I'm like a kid on Christmas right now. And that'll be very interesting to see what they do with free agency, whether they're out there to spend with that that new money they got from their Red Ball deal. If they've got some money to spend now that they're under the cap, if they're ready to go for it, that will be interesting to see. And I'm looking forward to talking just about it as trade, well. Don't trade all the tots. You just traded for all these young kids. Like, let's, you know, if you're gonna trade some prospects, it better be worth it. Better be worth the player you're gonna bring back. And if you're thinking about some of those players and who they could trade those for, head over to the website because there are couple of names I threw out there, and I, I mean, out of the names I put out there, I feel like Sean Maniah is the guy that the Red Sox should go out and get. I think they can get him from the A's. Just going to throw it out there. Matt, any closing thoughts? Yeah, as we go into the offseason, um, Bloom, I know you're listening, 
So I just want to say this. You're not the executive of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. You are the executive of the Boston Red Sox. So I understand you want to be smart, and I understand you want to be frugal, and I understand that you're going to be responsible. But do not think that Matt Shoemaker is the guy that is going to change your 2021 fortunes. Use the resources that you have. I hope that you will. And I, I, I just worry sometimes that Bloom is going to be a little bit too um, value, 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 and deal, deal, deal. I'd want him to also be a little bit of Dave Dabrowski because, you know, for all of Dabrowski's faults, the guy knows how to get it done. So so Bloom, you know, attack this <clears> offseason. <throat> know you have a contender and do not try to win in 2024. Try to win in 2021. Because the team is there to win. Oh wait, I have one more one more closing thought, and I just want to say this: this is completely uh, 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 it is not Red Sox related, but I just got to throw it out there. L.A. Angels, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, you cowards! You cowards! Go get Dave Dabrowski. Go do it. You go get the assistant GM of the the, the Atlanta Braves. Oh, here we go. He's just gonna do. Oh, is he gonna? Is he gonna change? Is he gonna change the tide? No, they should have went out and got Dubrovsky. They got Madden. They got Trout. They have go get somebody that's gonna push them to the finish line. Dubrovsky, for better or for worse, gets the job done. He may leave your franchise in ruins, but he can get you that ring. And I just think that higher. The I, I can't think of his name, and I'm not gonna look it up because it's the end of this podcast. You should have got Dave Dabrowski. Go get the guy who will get the job done. They went out and got the next whatever. You know he's a, you know he's a, he's probably super smart and he's gonna do the right things. Blah blah blah. But they chickened out. They had a chance. There was rumors that Dabrowski could have been brought in to be their new GM. They should have done it because the guy knows how to get your team into the World Series. You make a deal with the devil, you save your soul, but. He can get you to the World Series. You get that ring. You That's fine. Sometimes a team like the Angels, like what are you going to do, waste Mike Trout's whole career? You're going to keep dilly-dallying? No, go get the guy who knows how to get the job done. And they chickened out, and they ta- they went out and got the assistant GM of the Braves trying to find the next Theo. They shouldn't try to find the next Theo. They should have went out and got the guy, the mercenary, the Dave Dabrowski, who could have got them a chance to win with Mike Trout. All right, is that it, guys? Isn't that enough? We've been talking for almost two hours. I mean, I can start talking about High Strong King if you want, <laughs> but I think we'd say that the next podcast. I think we'll do that. And speaking of the next podcast, we have got our big 100th Boston Sports Syndicate podcast coming up. So we've got some uh, big plans for that. Uh, I'm not sure if that's going to happen before Thanksgiving, maybe after. We have some logistics to work out, so please stay tuned for that. And check out our website at www.bostonsportssyndicate.com. We've got, as we said, a bunch of new articles up there from Chris and from Matt and all our other writers. Uh, There you can also find links to all our podcasts and to our merch page. We have hats, T-shirts, sweatshirts, masks, mugs, a lot of great stuff on there. Check out our Facebook page at Boston Sports Syndicate. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Boston Sports Syn, S-Y-N. And now... All our podcasts 
for all of the four major Boston sports teams, they all also have their own Twitter accounts. So check out the Above the Parquet Celtics podcast, which Matt and Chris are co-hosts on, at, at Above the Parquet. The Bleed Black and Gold Bruins podcast you can find at, at Bleed Black and Gold. The Fire the Muskets Patriots podcast, at Fire the Muskets. And, of course, our Red Sox podcast, to be named later, is at Red Sox pod underscore BSS. Because at Red Sox podcast, to be named later, was much too long for a Twitter handle. So that's why we have the shortened one. Right, Chris? It would have been difficult to type in all those letters. And if you want to get in touch with us with any questions, comments, ideas, something you'd like to hear on a future podcast, you can message us on Facebook or in any of our Twitter accounts, or shoot us an email at contact at bostonsportssyndicate.com. And if you want to find us on Twitter, you can find me at btravers underscore S-Y-N. Chris and Matt, tell the people where they can find you. Chris and Matt, calling Chris and Matt. I feel like right now as we were waiting, we were like that Spider-Man meme. We were pointing at each other who was going to go first. <laughs> exactly. That's 100% true. You can you can find me at Chris Henrik. Who guys? I just broke a thousand followers wow. last night. Big Whoa, day. man! I thought big I was day. a big man at eighty-five. Wow, thousand! I know. I don't even think I have a hundred. Hey, some of those Chris followers come over to Maddie D Rose, Maddie D underscore Rose. Uh, I'd love to get to a thousand. I'd love to get to a hundred. Getting some ch- guys. I'm getting some blue check marks that are following me, so nice. I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited here. When you get the big, the blue check mark, that's when we'll be excited. What, which one of us gets to the blue check mark first? That's a contest we should have in the syndicate. <laughs> uh, Throw a monkey wrench at James. <laughs> that's gonna be his new Twitter handle, James. The blue check mark. <laughs> well, he can't. He certainly can't be James the Contrarian because he agrees too James much on, on the Twitter. giant check mark. <laughs> Hey, that's how we're going to know if he listens to the show. If he, <laughs> if he changes his name to that, then we know that he listened to this whole podcast. Uh, he got through all two hours of it just to hear his name. All right, Matt, Chris, thank you for joining me. To everyone listening, thank you for joining us. Have a happy and safe Thanksgiving, and wear your mask. Later. Peace. Boston Sports Syndicate. Music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by I Am CDM and Jay Kelly.